Today's reading is from Matthew 5, verses 17 to 48. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison." Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for, cannot, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the person who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good 
and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thanks for reading, Darcy. It'd be great to keep that passage of the Bible open. We've got some church Bibles over by the welcome table, so if you'd like to get your hands on one, uh, put it up in the air. Jack will bring it around to you. Uh, You'll find an outline for the talk on the back of your service sheets that will help to follow along. Before we get in, just a couple of uh, additional things to mention. Uh, A bunch of us were uh, helping at the Mary Madding a meal for about 110, 120 people in the city, uh, homeless, vulnerable, people in need of a free meal. It was just a great time uh, to be there together as a team. I want to particularly acknowledge um, Isaac White, who prepared and cooked the most delicious butter chicken for, I mean, it wasn't just 120. We could have fed 250 with the amount in this huge cauldron of, um, of curry, but it was so well received. And, and also acknowledge Corinne, my wife, who kind of coordinated everything, masterminded it all, sadly couldn't be there on the night. Um, we're, we're in the season of Lent, and one of the themes of Lent is, is caring for the poor, service of the needy, so it was appropriate. We were there last night. Uh, another opportunity to express that care is through giving to the um, Anglicare Emergency Assistance Service. And um, on the table, we have our first donation, a bunch of um, tuna. Um, I put out in my email the, the list of non-perishable goods that are, are needed in urgent demand at the moment. Um, so if you can bring them by next Sunday, and uh, someone will then deliver them in the following week. All right, we're going to get into this passage, uh, and I want to start with quite a um, strong statement. Self-righteousness will kill you. Self-righteousness will kill you. All the cancer cells, all the malaria, all the deadly viruses in the world cannot do as much damage as self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is to consider myself right with God, to think that I've achieved an adequate grade, that if I were to appear before God in judgment, he would be satisfied with my moral performance. And self-righteousness is so dangerous because it keeps me from coming to God for the mercy that I need. Self-righteousness is a delusion. It's, it's a lie because I'm not righteous in myself and neither are you, says Jesus. We are all desperately in need of God's mercy. We began looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached a couple of weeks ago. And Jesus begins his teaching with these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt." Those who know they have nothing in themselves to commend them to God. Jesus says you've got to be bankrupt to be blessed. But the self-righteous, well, they'll, they'll never acknowledge that they're bankrupt. Jesus says a similar thing. Later in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, he likens himself to a doctor and says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus is saying he's come to help us. He's come to heal us. But we need to admit that we need it. The self-righteous are like the person who rejects the doctor's diagnosis of disease. They're offended by it. There's nothing wrong with me. How dare you tell me I'm sick? 
They reject the diagnosis, they refuse the treatment, and so the disease continues to spread. This morning we're looking at this passage and it addresses self-righteousness. It's been my prayer that any self-righteousness that resides in our hearts would be exposed and rooted out, that we'd, we'd come to Jesus afresh, broken and bankrupt, to receive his forgiving and transforming grace. It's a big passage to cover. We're not going to look at it all in detail. Uh, we're actually going to spend the next four or five weeks looking at this passage uh, section by section. Today, just an overview. And in this passage, Jesus is teaching us about the law. Look again at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is explaining how he and his teaching relate to the Old Testament. Now, we hear that and think, great, whatever. But for Jesus' first hearers, this would have been a big deal. Jesus was like a breath of fresh air. He seemed to be bringing something new. But how does what Jesus is doing and teaching relate to what's come before? Well, Jesus says very clearly, he has not come to abolish the Old Testament. He's come to fulfill it. If you've been around the last few months at Barney's, you'll know this is one of the big themes in Matthew's gospel. Matthew wants to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God has said in the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying he hasn't come to do away with the Old Testament. Not the smallest fragment of the Old Testament will pass away. He's saying we need to pay attention to it. Now, how the Old Testament applies to us, this side of Jesus, will differ to how it applied to the nation of Israel. But that's not because Jesus has abolished it, but because he has fulfilled it. Now, this morning of how to understand and interpret the Old Testament law for today. I want to give you three big points to understand what Jesus teaches us about the law. Firstly, he teaches that the law reflects God's perfect character, it also exposes our flaws, and thirdly, it drives us to Jesus. So the first thing, the law reflects God's perfect character. In this passage, Jesus is raising the bar, if you like. Have a look again at verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were like the spiritual elites of the day. Everyone looked up to them. But Jesus says, you need to have a righteousness that exceeds, that surpasses theirs. Jesus is saying, what you've heard about the law is inadequate. Sorry, I've lost my place. Uh, he makes it even clearer what he's saying. At the end of that passage we read, verse 48, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, the law is not an abstract moral code. No, the law reflects God's own personal and perfect character. We need to understand the context. Jesus is addressing six subjects, murder, adultery, divorce, making oaths, how we respond to personal offense, and love for enemies. And for each one, did you see the repeated phrase, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. Jesus is saying, what you've heard about the law is inadequate. What the teachers of the law have been telling you is not the whole picture. 
I'm going to tell you what it really means, what the law really demands. So, for example, look at what he says about making oaths in verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. All, uh, Verse 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So the Old Testament law said, don't swear falsely by God's name. Don't swear falsely by God's name. And it seems the teachers of the law were saying, okay, we need to work out what it means to swear by God's name. What kind of oaths, promises are by God's name and therefore really serious? And what kind of oaths are not by God's name and therefore less serious and less binding? And from what Jesus says here, it seems as though some are saying, well, I'm going to swear by my head or I'm going to swear by Jerusalem or I'm going to swear by the earth. I'm not swearing by God's name. You know, it's like kind of crossing your fingers behind your back when you're making a promise. And Jesus is saying, guys, what are you doing? You're tampering with the law. It's not about trying to work out how you can make a promise that isn't really a promise. God is a God of truth. He wants us to be people who speak the truth. Jesus isn't saying all swearing is wrong, but he's saying don't play with the law. If you're going to try and work out which promises are you know, serious and which aren't, don't swear at all. The point of the law is that you tell the truth because God is a God of truth. That's his perfect character. He always speaks the truth. So be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's raising the bar and it's challenging, isn't it? I don't know about you, it's convicting. Little white lies, just distorting the truth to make yourself look good, to avoid being found out. Saying I'm going to do something and not following through. Jesus says no. There's to be no lying on our lips. No lying on our lips. We, we need to be people who mean what we say. When we say yes, we mean yes. Or look at the example at the end, verse 43. Again, Jesus starts off, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, now the Old Testament law did require love for neighbor. It didn't actually say hate your enemy. But it seems, again, the teachers of the law had assumed that your neighbor couldn't mean everyone. It had to be limited to the people close to you, fellow Israelites, people who are kind to you, who do good to you. So love your neighbor, but you can hate your enemy. And Jesus says, I tell you, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Again, Jesus is raising the bar. He's showing what... He says there's to be no limit to our love. The law reflects God's perfect character. And what does God do? He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So let your love reflect his Love your enemies, that it may be clear that you are children of your Father in heaven. We, we sometimes think that the law is a bit cold, dry, duty, but the law reflects God's perfect character. It's beautiful. 
To live this way is beautiful. We may not do what the teachers of the law were doing, at least not in the same way, but haven't we lowered the bar, accepted a standard that is way short of what the law actually demands of us, what Jesus actually teaches? Imagine being a kingdom community, not seeing how close we can get to sin, not seeing how we can lower the bar and still come across as acceptable, respectable, but a community who realize that our Father in heaven is perfect and we want to reflect him because we love him. And so we genuinely seek after godly perfection. If we look at the six examples Jesus gives, it will mean no hatred in our hearts. It'll mean no allowance for adultery, no lust in our looks. It'll mean no lying on our lips and no resting on our rights. It'll mean setting no limit to our love. Imagine being a church where these things are true, a community where people can see what our God is like can see he's a God of grace and truth and purity and love. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The law reflects God's perfect character. Secondly, the law teaches, uh, it exposes our flaws. The law exposes our flaws. One writer has said, you can't meditate for long on the Sermon on the Mount without feeling ashamed. And this passage delivers a crushing blow to self-righteousness, doesn't it? And it's what I believe Jesus intended to do. He's teaching the true meaning of the law, and this is what the law always does. The law is like a mirror. As you look into the law, you see who you truly are. So take the command against murder. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not commit murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So I may not have taken a knife to another human being, but that doesn't mean I'm okay. Where does murder start? But in the heart, in the anger and the hatred that we feel towards another person. Jesus says that murder and anger will both bring us subject to judgments. He's raising the bar. He's raising the stakes. He's showing how serious sin really is. I can't say, well, I'm not that bad. I haven't murdered anyone. Jesus says, anyone who says, you fool, will be subject to the fire of hell. So when someone cuts me up or lets me down, when someone deceives me deliberately or doesn't recognize my contribution? How do I respond so often with anger? But Jesus says there's to be no hatred in our hearts, no anger in our hearts. Or take the next example. We may not have committed adultery, but again, that doesn't mean we've kept God's law. Where does adultery begin but with a lustful thoughts. And whatever we may think, Jesus doesn't say it's okay to look but not touch. Jesus says we've already committed adultery in our hearts. And again, he raises the stakes. It's not a minor misdemeanor. We need to take radical action. 
Gouge out your eye, cut off your hands. This sin will make us deserving of hell. So we can't say, oh, I'd never commit adultery. You know, I'm pretty respectable. You know, what are we saying? You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm okay. I've met the required standards. I'd get at least a S satisfactory on my report cards. No. Jesus teaches the true meaning of the law. There's to be no lust in our look. The law exposes our flaws, shows us that self-righteousness is a delusion. You can only maintain self-righteousness when you've accepted a lower standard than the one Jesus actually teaches. When you think, it, it's okay to have some lust in my life, it's okay to harbor anger in my heart, it's okay to practice a bit of deceit, it's okay to put limits on my love. We need to hear Jesus' words this morning as he teaches the true meaning of the law, as he applies it to our hearts and exposes our flaws. We need to feel the conviction that Jesus' teaching brings without brushing it aside as unrealistic or trying to explain it away. I hope you're feeling uncomfortable. You're meant to. The law reflects God's perfect character. As such, it exposes our deep flaws and failures. But thirdly and wonderfully, the Lord drives us to Jesus to receive his grace. If we allow the Lord to do its work in our lives, we will be driven to Jesus. We'll come saying, we can't do it. We can't keep the law. We can't be righteous in ourselves. We need your grace. We need your grace to forgive us. We need your grace to change us and transform us. And when we do that, we'll find Jesus saying, that's exactly why I've come. That's exactly why I've come. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's exactly why I've come. To deal with your sin, to wash you clean, to give you my robe of perfect righteousness. When we really listen to Jesus' teaching, when we accept his standard there's no one who can say, yeah, I'm okay. I'm going to sail through judgment on my own. I've met the grade. No one has met that standard except for Jesus himself. See, Jesus fulfills the law in his teaching as he explains its true meaning. He also fulfills it in his living. He kept the law perfectly. He always obeyed. There was no hatred in his heart. No lust in his looks. There was no lying on his lips. He always spoke the truth. He didn't rest on his rights and he set no limit to his love. Don't you love this about Jesus? He teaches, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then when he's hanging on the cross, cruelly, unjustly condemned, he prays, Father, forgive them. Jesus fulfilled the law in his life and he fulfilled it in his death. See, the law not only sets out how to live, it also sets out what would happen when you don't. Now, Jesus did keep the law. He had no penalty to pay, yet on the cross, he took the penalty of the law for others, for you and for me. Jesus lived the life that we could never live, 
And he died the death that we deserve to die. And that means we can be fully forgiven, washed clean. And we can receive his perfect life of righteousness, counted as our own. This is the way it works. When we're convicted by the law, by Jesus' exacting standards, then we are driven to Jesus, broken and bankrupt, confessing our sin, crying for mercy. And Jesus receives us and forgives us and gives us his perfect righteousness. And then Jesus begins to transform us, transform our hearts and strengthen us so that we begin to live this new life of the kingdom, begin to actually live in reality the righteousness that's counted as ours. But when we tamper with the law, when we lower the standards, we miss out on all that grace, all that blessing. We're left striving for our righteousness of our own, hiding our sin, pretending we're better than we are. When we hear Jesus teaching, I think our instinctive reaction is to try and reduce it, explain it away. But there's actually great freedom in submitting to it, allowing it to convict us and expose our flaws and to drive us to Jesus afresh to receive the grace we desperately need. Shall we pray together? Give you a moment in quiet to reflect. Jesus said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Lord Jesus, we confess and acknowledge that every single one of us has failed to meet your perfect standards. We've broken your law. We're we're guilty before you. We, We do not have a righteousness of our own that we can take confidence in. We need your grace and your mercy. Please forgive us. Thank you that you say we're blessed when we acknowledge our poverty of spirit when we mourn our sin when we hunger for the righteousness that we lack and we pray that you would cause each one of us to cling to you Jesus to trust in you alone for the righteousness we need and to be strengthened and empowered by your spirit to begin to obey to put these commands into practice, to to be a community that more and more does reflect the beautiful character of our Father and causes others to give glory to him. We pray in your merciful and mighty name. Amen.